There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 304 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm back and so is Greg Fitzpatrick. I'm We're back. both back. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a it while. has, yeah. It's been a while. I missed you, man. How are you? It's been. Yeah, I'm good, man. Do you think they should change their name? Bare Naked Ladies? Is it time? It might be time, yeah. It might be time for them to change their entire back catalogue, though. Probably, you know yeah. I mean? I, they can't do much about that. The now. melodies Girl band can, is, girl band can is one thing, but Bare Naked Ladies, I think, <laughs> yeah. is perhaps, like... <laughs> I yeah, don't know. let's just consign them to the dustbin of history. We will, but we will be consigning this podcast to the... What's the opposite of a dustbin? Um, I don't know, like a golden cabinet or something like that? <laughs> it's the golden cabinet podcast, everybody. It's now Encore 304. Uh, loads to discuss, because we took a week off last week. There was, of course, a no popcorn episode about Drive. Yeah. Are you a fan of the film Drive, Craig? I loved Drive at the time. It's very of an era for me. I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's, yeah, it captures a moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I nearly got emotional there thinking about all those synths back in what 2011 2012 2011 yeah, yeah 2011 it's early 10 years days old. of hot press and um, lots of nights yeah. out and yeah yeah our yeah. friendship was burgeoning of it course was. at the same time it was yeah you'd say that our friendship is akin to having your head stoved in in a lift wouldn't you it's pretty much the same thing <laughs> after a nice long kiss no less uh, that's drive pop no popcorn has the stoving now. happened or are we mid stoving or is that is it the tension of that stoving is yet to come the pandemic we're still was making the stoving, out okay, yeah, right. I, I don't know I, I think we've been so we staggered stoved. out into the car park have we at this point yeah <laughs> okay. and have been stabbed a few times by Albert Brooks uh, spoilers for drive okay so big episode coming um 
we have a lot to talk about on this one. Yeah. Our top five this week, we're doing it, Craig. You suggested, we kind of suggested it together in sync in a beautiful stereo moment, but it's about being torn apart this time. Yeah. What's our top five this week, sir? Top five divorce core songs. <laughs> Best and worst. I'm on worst. Although I will say mine aren't straight worst. Like there's a lot of trash in there, but I'm, I want to also tell a story and get to the heart of this thing we call divorce core because it, I think it is its own weird subgenre. We'll talk about it, but um, yeah, we've been kind of um, orbiting this topic for a long time at this stage. A lot of episodes, it's become a bit of an in-joke as many things do on this show and it should be great. There's, it's such rich territory. It is, yeah. It felt appropriate because we're reviewing the Adele yeah. album on this episode. So, yeah, I, I think we're both probably going to stay away from the more spikier elements of divorce. Not, not looking to make anybody feel bad, you know, essentially. But who knows? Maybe the music will make them feel bad. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a big episode. I mean, like, I guess before we get to the news, there is some stuff to catch up on. Um, so You've had a big week. I have. Yeah. I've had a big kind of week and a half. Yeah. Um, I guess. Wh- which do you want to start with? Because uh, I, I, I've, I've gone to some things. So yeah. I've gone to two me momentous events. return to gigging. Because okay. the day after, for those I love played, um, just my timeline was full of everyone I know at this show being like transcendent. And of course, amongst them was your good self. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, For Those I Love played the Olympia Theatre. David Balfe, of course, behind the project For Those I Love. I have to assume that most people who listen to the show know exactly who he is. But if if you don't, he's a Dublin artist, uh, kind of spoken word electronica. Very unique. Uh, we have an excellent interview with him on yeah. this very show uh, some episodes back. So please go check that one out. And yeah, he played the Olympia Theatre. I'm not going to call it by its sponsored Tree name. Olympia Theatre. I mean, Craig is. So uh, you wouldn't have had this transcendent experience if it wasn't for, you know, Ireland's fastest mobile network, Dave. <laughs> there's a man there's a man who works in advertising, everybody. Uh, so, OK, yeah. So for those of those who played the Olympia Theatre last week, and um, I'm going to give you a bit of a taste of it now, gathered from his Instagram, which was gathered from phone footage from various different people who were there. Uh, this will not do it justice at all, but I want to okay. give you a bit of a, a bit of a taste. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a very difficult gig to kind of capture. I think with audio, it, it really is one of those you had to be there moments. Um, yeah. So from my point of view, I mean, this was a gig. Like I I've been gig apprehensive. I've only yeah. gone to see Houseplants, and that was because I happened to be out that night and I had a few beers in me, and I kind of forgot all the rules, you know, when I went to see Dahi's band Houseplants, which was great, but I did have the fear afterwards, and it was a similar thing with this. Like after the for those I love gig, like I've I've taken like three antigen tests since, thankfully all negative. Um, and yeah, I mean, at the same time, I was apprehensive about this gig as well for different reasons, because I was kind of like, well, how will it translate and what will the expectations be? And in the end, um, I just had a pretty incredible time. Um, it was full of emotion, as you might expect. Um, and it was, as you say, like, you know, you're seeing like all kinds of stuff in your timeline because it did feel like half of fucking Dublin was there. Yeah, uh, it seemed... So many people that we maybe, know. Yeah, you can talk us through the setup of the show itself. It seemed like a kind of part 
like theater setup, but also then part like football match almost just in terms of the energy and the the sense of like like minded people finally getting back together. Yeah, I mean, it, it had that kind of art installation vibe, but, yeah. you know, a good art installation, really. And yeah, there was echoes of, uh, yeah, there was definitely like kind of football match-esque feeling throughout, especially like kind of there at the end as well. Um, I mean, as, as everyone knows, if, if you do know, for those I love, it is such a cathartic thing. It's born out of grief. But I think part of what makes it so special is that it's like it's about driving towards some sense of communion, or at least I think it is. And it certainly felt that way that night. Um, I've said already I was on Kieran McGuinness' show and Radio Nova there at the weekend, just kind of giving a brief rundown of it. And I was saying that like at one stage, like I I, I was in the pit. Thanks, by the way, to Nyler Nine, friend of the show and rival podcaster, uh, <laughs> who um, uh, sorted me out with a ticket. I'm very, very grateful that he did. Uh, we looked up one stage to her right and like there's Dave Bell's mother like just fucking giving it socks like you know having an incredible time and then later on at a different part of the show she's got her hands over her face and the emotion is huge and the crowd kind of went that way as well I mean there was uh, there was a couple of people behind me who at one stage were like it's like a group therapy session man and I'm like oh yeah cool but I've probably said that myself as well so I can't be too hypocritical can I um, it was just unbelievable it felt like a like a transference of energy from one fr- from stage to punter and from punter to stage felt very familial um undeniably personal of course but also in amongst the difficulties that were there and the challenges and it was very emotional like people around me were fucking crying very early on i I went in there that night with like um i'd gotten some bad family news and that was on my mind i think you naturally project your own kind of situation onto what is being put towards you which again is one of the reasons why i think he's such an empathetic artist and the most empathetic people don't shed about being empathetic, you know, and that that, yeah. that, that doesn't come across with him. Um, and I feel weird because it's like he's become a friend. I think he's a great guy. I know that I gush about the dude, but it genuinely was like something I've never seen before. But the point I wanted to make was in amongst the kind of more kind of heart rending moments, there was such a sense of freedom uh, of, 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 of weight being lifted uh, he's got a hell of a smile, does Dave Balf, and it was on display quite a bit. Um, there was time for celebration. There was time for people just roaring him on like he was representing the country in the Olympics or something. I used like an Italian 90 analogy on Nova. I think this one's slightly better. Um, yeah, like honestly, I do... It's the worst fucking thing for a music journalist to say, but like I do find it hard to describe. Uh, it felt otherworldly. It flew by and somehow felt like a week long, not in a bad way. Uh, he feels like a very complete performer, which doesn't really make sense considering he's played a handful of shows in the UK and perhaps he has it down, etc. But it didn't feel like a gig, you know. There was a couple of point, points where the music would allow you to kind of, you know, loosen up and move around, but that felt strange, but not wrong. I think it's about what you take from it, and it felt that everyone who was there that night felt like that was where they needed to be. And it's a gig that we've been waiting for for a very long time. I'm absolutely delighted that I went, and... It was kind of surreal, especially given everything and like being back in the Olympia. I can't remember the last thing I saw in the Olympia. And it was yeah. just, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was stressful in the sense that the event was stressful. Being at any event there was for me anyway, but like for an hour, I went somewhere else entirely. And that's, you know, if a gig can be that transportative and it was mm. while also having your attention focused entirely on the performer on the stage. Yeah, it was it was it was one of a kind. It really was an incredible evening, and it, it it's not going to leave my brain for a long time, even if I can't make fully good articulate sense of it. Do you have any other questions, sir? Well, I, I'm glad to hear there was that sense of relief and release and celebration around the occasion, because um, you talk about the context of the timing of the gig 
And certainly when tickets went on sale, I, you know, most of the time, 90% of normal time, I would be like, I am snapping up tickets. But like, again, we were both in the same kind of boat of like, when are we going back to gigs? Are we quite ready? And I remember just thinking, this will probably be amazing. This could also be quite heavy and draining, depending on the mood. Um, So I should never have doubted that, of course, there would be that kind of release. Um, He is a very, um, I don't know, deft performer artist he can kind of steer you in different directions and take you i guess to where you need to go so yeah i'm now raging that i missed it um yeah but, i mean like yeah. i was, I was going to say that i'm not like this isn't me being like let's have all the gigs now please i am i remain and like listen i mean like fucking they're they're still on they're still happening and you know people are being safe and everything and i would just you know not, not to sound like a fucking narc here but like you know if you are going to gigs you know just obviously be careful and just you know whatever yeah. but like um like, i didn't feel uncomfortable um, I, I felt very kind of, I felt like I was surrounded by like-minded people who were there for a, a very important reason. And there was love in the room. There was a genuine feeling of that. And I've missed that. I mean, I, I like I, in, in one respect, I haven't missed gigs. In another respect, you, you're present for these moments that really are not your day-to-day things. And that yeah. came across. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to be like, you know, it, 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 was, it was a special occasion. I'm still not fully, quote unquote, ready to go back okay. to gigs myself. So, personally. so you're not saying, you know, bring on all the gigs. How do you feel about five of them in Croke <laughs> Park <laughs> next year? <laughs> You had well, a close encounter with the G-Man, Dave. Yeah, I mean, th- that was actually a lot more, I mean, like, a room full of journalists. Like, you know, we all had our masks on and everything, but, like, that was kind of like, is this okay? Yes, everybody, I went to Croke Park on Monday for the Garth Brooks <laughs> press conference. He was there, and it sounded a bit like this. It's the greatest privilege and the greatest joy an artist can have to play Ireland. It's the greatest heartache to be told you can't. In between September and now, we have about 17 stadiums lined up uh, to finish the tour, but the stadium tour in this chapter of our life will end in what I have told anybody that would listen, the greatest place to play music. And the fact that it's Croke Park makes it even better. Um, if there was any way we could have put the 400,000 tickets in Croke Park into the point, we would have. It's just uh, it's a guaranteed good time to play here. When I hit the airport today, I had the mask on. So I couldn't figure out how everybody knew it was me. <laughs> right? And so, so that's what threw me off about the point. I'm not from here. I think I stand out like a sore thumb here, right? But so how come I feel like I'm home here, right? That's the thing. So that's what I remember. Yes, ma'am. I'd like to. I'd love to do five, but I'd also like to be six foot five and have abs. Yeah, a no less emotional artist, you could say. And boy, did we yuck it up! You heard the room there playing us like a fiddle, Craig. So he was. That's you Garth laughed, Brooks, everybody. Did, did he cry? It sounds oh, like yeah. he's constantly welling up and on the verge. Yeah, of tears. he did. Yeah. I, the first thing I want to say because I want to actually ask you about your experience seven years ago because oh, this yeah. is like a, a wonderful no encore baton relay here situation. <laughs> um. He did say, and no, no one fucking believed him for a second, but what happened was, for anyone who hasn't been paying attention to the timeline lately, two gigs were announced this week, at the start of the week. Or they were announced last week, but they were, like, on sale this week. And he was like, I just don't see five happening. We're not going to do that miracle again. There's not a chance. Um, nonsense. 
complete nonsense. And like, it was like, but they have the license for five. This is all a smokescreen. And sure enough, a time of recording here uh, tonight on the Thursday, I think all, f- so yeah, five gigs went on sale and I think they're all sold out already. I think or there's like scattered single seats available. Like it's almost done again. 400,000 tickets. So he lied to me, Craig. Um, We'll get into my experience in a second, but can you please take us and me, the listener, everybody back to Hot Press 2014. You were there at the first run of all of this. Yeah, and to be honest, listening to that clip, it's like I'm back in the room like seven years ago, to be honest. He's the same, you know, mix of super church preacher and like swindler and um, poet showman. Yeah, it was all of that vibe. It was all of the stories about people he'd met in Kilkenny 30 years previously and, you know, the local radio stations he'd visited, you know, 35 years ago and um, being constantly on the verge of tears. That was obviously just me. And talking about, because at the time it was, you know, he'd done some residency stuff, he'd done scatter dates, but it was his big return in general, I think, because, you know, obviously, famously, he he left his music career uh, for many years to raise his children, essentially, which is commendable. Um, And there was lots of talk of that and lots of, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And a, a few quotes I sent you, Dave, where he was talking about um, wearing, he picked up his sunglasses, his massive Oakleys, and he was like, as a kind of prop, he had a lot of props, and was talking about putting on these massive shades at like baseball, like little league games and baseball games, so people couldn't see him cry when he watched his children, <laughs> because he realised how lucky he was that other artists touring uh, didn't get to experience this, and so he wouldn't trade it for the world, but now he was back, baby, and then he wasn't back. Uh, I went on holidays I went on holidays for two weeks and I remember arriving back in Dublin getting in a taxi probably to go yeah it was to go straight back to work that afternoon and (laughs) like live line was on I think Joe Duffy (laughs) was off he seems to miss every kind of national emergency but it was it was all the uproar of these five nights are not happening Um, now they are yeah, I mean, like, also, it should be said that, like, sartorial-wise, let's have the sartorial report here real quick. When you met him in 2014, he was yeah. rocking a baseball cap, a black baseball, baseball cap, cap and, baseball jacket. Uh, yeah, uh, kind of G on the cap, if I recall. It was, you yeah. know, it's all his own the merch. logo. Yeah. And this time, he was rocking a big white Stetson and double denim, um, so, and boots. You know, he claims to be um, a southern gent, even though he's from Oklahoma, Um <laughs> But should he be wearing that hat indoors? Is that, like, not poor cowboy etiquette? Uh, that's a very good question that no one asked. In fact, all the almost all of the questions that were asked of him were just like, how are you so great? And aren't yeah. Irish fans fantastic? That was pretty much the vibe. I did ask a couple of questions. It took me a long fucking time to get there. Uh, and the two questions I asked him, Craig, you'd like to know, I said, um, and I was very polite. I said, Garth, I said, uh, nice to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I said, uh, can I ask? I was like, is there any chance that the legendary Chris Gaines might make an appearance next year? And I got a big <laughs> smile out of him. He liked that quite a bit, but he didn't like my follow-up I like question. I like that. Uh, I said, uh, I said, and, you know, because he kept referring to it as the miracle, 2014 miracle of all those tickets being sold. Um, and he was like, I said, so I, I said, Garth, I said, if, if, if the miracle happens again, and in fact, there are five gigs that do happen, they sell out, they're on, what would your message be to anyone who uh, would oppose you or has done and may continue to do so? And the, the big smile dropped. He wasn't happy with that question at all. And he just brushed me off. He was like, uh, he was like, 
uh, I mean, you know, I don't really focus on that kind of thing, you know, as a musician and an artist, I'm a storyteller, and uh, that's kind of for the management to deal with. Uh, yeah, um, he's not a businessman at all. And nice. then he goes, uh, he goes, you'll always have people opposing you. And then he said something like, uh, Jesus, but, that's, that's but then chilling. thankfully, I figured like, I, I've, I fucked it. He won't get into the Chris Gaines thing because he's annoyed at me. But he did. He went like, as for Chris Gaines, he's like, uh, and then he, he once again went on his riffs and he was like, He's like, there's no way I'll lose enough weight to to do Chris Gaines. I'm already 25 pounds overweight for Garth Brooks. Room pops with laughter. He kind of doubles down on it. And then I got a brief moment, though, where he was like, uh, he goes, but thanks for mentioning that music, man. You know, it's good. And and then I, I, I just like fucking completely like went like just stupidly. I went like, oh, man, I went like, please play Lost in You. It's a great song. What happens? He's he's magical. He's like a fucking sorcerer or something. It's crazy. There's How can you here. explain it? His back catalog was, is dreadful. He was asked. Uh, he was asked on stage to sing a song, and thankfully he shut that down. He was yeah. like, uh, and it was so bad. It was just like you know, Garth. You know, I'm gonna be a bit cheeky now, but would you sing a song for us? And it's like this is a professional journalist, and like. Garth went like, uh, he's like, uh, I'm going to be cheeky myself, you know, uh, it's 4am where I'm from, so uh, I'm going to say something I've never said to a female before. No. And that's right, he did say female. <laughs> like, in that, in that Was there lots of references to Miss Yearwood? Not that many, not oh, that many, but okay. he did like, you know, if someone like, I think like Sinead Crowley from RTE was there, so he's like Miss Sinead, that's who he's referring to in that clip, so everyone was Miss, you know, like yeah. every Southern Belle that he, he he dressed in the room. Um, There was at least one DJ, like a Midlands guy, in a, in a, in a zip-up Midlands FM jacket like Alan Partridge in the front row, who basically just like, at one stage, like, when, he, when it was his turn for a question, he just was like, Garth, he's like, you're a wonderful human being. And I was like, where the fuck is this going? And then he was like, you're a wonderful father. You have three young girls. Like, he obviously did what I did over the weekend and watched that documentary, which, by the way, Netflix, everybody, The Road I'm On, Garth Brooks. Craig has been recommending it to me forever. Uh, Would you recommend it to the listeners? Oh, my God. It's absolutely sensational. (laughs) I've... (laughs) There's too many moments to talk about. People just need to, like, watch it. But I'm convinced... He is potentially a serial killer. <laughs> Isn't there that thing though? Because I, because like one of my tweets, I like kind of got a bit of traction, and loads of people were like yeah. replying to it and quoting, being like, "Where are the bodies, Garth?" And I was like, "What is this about?" But apparently, it's some like it is something. There's a DJ who kind of has started a rumor that uh, yeah, he's the in comedian fact- Tom Segura he, on his podcast, they have a whole thing of like I, I think they'd go through like old interview clips with him and just as we've talked about before, just the kind of super uber slick Garthness that's kind of like uncanny valley. They've just decided that he's not quite human or quite like the rest of us and probably has, you know, there's a few bodies being thrown in the back of a golden pickup truck. Uh, but um, I hate to think that he would tarnish his wholesome image with, you know, murder. But uh, he's, yeah, like he's, he's jest, a hell of a character. He's a lovely um, guy. <laughs> he's, it, it's just, yeah, like there's an aura about him for sure. Um, you know, he's like a more lovable Kanye West. And I love Kanye West, but there's just kind of a more wholesome vibe to him, I suppose. Um it got a bit fucking boring, though, I gotta say. It went on for an hour, and it was mostly just people being like, you're amazing. So do you have any further questions to drill down into this thing, Craig? Because I kind of feel like I, I could just ramble for an hour myself, but I don't want to. Yeah, was it, I mean, was it limited to the room, or was there a bit of a walkabout? Did he do, like, there, I, I think I remember from my time, there was a, a quite a cheesy, like, photo op where he was just, like, out on the pitch. Was there any, like, 
Slitter's produced? Was there any kind of no, um, no, not really. I mean, like maybe maybe it's COVID restrictions or something. But like, um, we were in like this theater in Croke Park, which looks like a lecture hall. The like the aesthetic was terrible. Like, I mean, it was like a big white room with his guaranteed Irish logo on the fucking projector, and just like you know, it just it didn't make for a good visual. I was taking some photographs for like for tweeting and stuff, and it just didn't look great. But um. Afterwards, uh, some photographers got to go up to the top of the roof uh, of the stadium and take some photos there. He okay, didn't yeah. go on the pitch. And then he did some one-on-ones with, like, everyone from local radio, rural, you know, in fairness, that's where you're selling your tickets. And uh, a sit-down interview with Katrina Perry on RT1, I believe, as well, amongst the others. So he was really doing the rounds. I didn't get a one-on-one. I wasn't looking for one. I just got back to the office and wrote a couple of pieces on it. I wrote, yeah, I wrote a feature for Joe. Uh, my feature was uh, Garth Brooks loves Ireland and he really really wants you to know that which is kind of a summary of, of <laughs> it was the a event. good piece really good piece people should check it out I enjoyed it yeah but like I got like weird responses on Twitter someone was like I'm looking for the part where it says sponsored content on here and I'm like did you read the numerous times I ripped the piss out of him and the Irish media I'm like what the like y- you can't win man yeah. Um, but yeah it was surreal and I'm glad I was there but it was I'm not I'm not a big Garth guy are you gonna go to the gigs what do you think <laughs> I like that you have to state that you're not a big guy. I just guy. want everyone to know. <laughs> I'm not against him. I'm just like in fairness, we, we in our group chat today, we, we we had trouble rattling off five songs. We got to four. Yeah, we got the to same four. four songs. I couldn't think of any more of. to be honest. Thereafter, yeah, um, the dance, rolls, friends in no places, dance, yeah, rolls, and tomorrow uh, never comes. If tomorrow if never tomorrow comes, yeah. comes, yeah. Which I always um, think of the Ronan Keating version now. So it's no longer his song. It's another sure, sure. titan of. <laughs> Do you, oh. like, are, are you, yeah, the side that you've just let out there, like, are you done with this? Or do you think, like, it needs to happen? It needs to happen for, like, the good of the nation kind of stuff? Yeah, and the closing of the saga, essentially. Yeah, no, I think so. I'm not as, and I'm not as riled up about it as, you know, a lot of people on Twitter are like, I just don't get it. And I don't quite get it, but I'm not, like, outraged by it. Country's no, big like, in Ireland. Why, like, I, I don't understand why people are at all. Like, people are, I wouldn't fucking, if he's in my back garden, I wouldn't. It's like, shut up. Like He's very clearly tied to an era, like an Irish era that we have a deep nostalgia for, I guess. That kind of 90s thing of, like, we can all remember when, like, suddenly, you know, all your friends parents were like going to fucking line dancing classes and uh, Celtic Tiger you know just kicking off a few good fucking runs in the World Cup it's all part of that isn't it it's just part of our national identity now and you can't fight it it's escapism and that's fine Um, any further questions before we move on to the news no I think we should move on to the news because um, (laughs) okay (laughs) I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more oh yeah sorry my question of course sorry the question on everyone's lips go on five nights Will I go? Is it happening, Dave? Yeah. Well, I, I've yet to, like, put the feelers out, but, like, uh, of course, yeah, much like having done the picture this thing five yeah. nights in a row, I've thought about it. Um, it's not five nights in a row. It's, it's like, I think it's three nights and then so two it doesn't the have the, quite the same endurance thing, but it is it a big culture not, moment. I feel like, I mean, I, I honestly, I've thought about this and I kind of feel like the idea of the picture this one was to psychologically break me and it, that did happen, but, like, I feel like this one could be a bit more boring. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would just be completely chaotic. Now, this all comes down to um, a very, very important distinction here. So I'll only do this if uh, I get to go for free. <laughs> so like I'm, not, like, I'm not buying five tickets. Like, And first of all, they're sold out already. So I was going to say, I, I yeah, don't, could be angering a lot of people that missed out. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, the last... How could you be missing out? But yeah. When I did the picture of this thing, I went through the label. Again, stunned that they fucking greenlit it. But like... 
with this one, I mean, I don't know, I don't really know anyone in Aiken Promotions that well. So if anyone's listening who can hook me up with five tickets, or preferably ten, because I don't want to go on my fucking own. It's a year from now, anything could happen. I could be writing yeah. for Rolling Stone, who knows? Who knows, knows but if like, they'll even go ahead. I think... Know. I think no no I think I would do it. it. I think I would do it because like it's 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 on the ground music journalism and also someone's going to fucking do it if I don't do it and I don't want them to steal my idea. Not that I patented the idea but like you know coming off the back of the picture of this thing I think I should do it. The other question I'll throw to you is if in fact I get this to happen are you going to come with me for at least one? Uh, yeah, go on. Moral Yay. support. Have to do Because if you will recall, listener, Craig fled the country when the picture of this thing happened. <laughs> so he Spain, couldn't yeah. go. <laughs> like, okay. Right, fled Adam. to Spain. <laughs> like <laughs> a member of the whole family or something. I didn't want you to name anyone there. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll bleep that out. Uh, Sonic Arcade Adam isn't actually with us in, in uh, real time this week. But Adam, post Adam, hit that news sting. <laughs> You heard about the good news? Other stuff's been happening, Dave. We finally hit the news section. And, um, I, I'd like to think that the previous thing was news, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was more, it was beyond news, to be honest, wasn't it, really? It told <laughs> yeah, us a lot true. about life in general. It was more evergreen than that. But um, hot off the presses is um, Brian May. <laughs> yeah, this isn't <laughs> good, is a feature of the news section. It's not great. Um, <laughs> l- you've uh, just added it to the running order, and I think we need to talk about it. Sure. Um, so we're talking about the Brit Awards. And we're talking about Brian May and he's been talking about the decision from the Brits to remove gendered categories for 2022, Um, which again, I guess I'm just catching up because with the Garth Brooks thing, I thought we were locked in for five nights and then was shocked when people were shocked that there was ones added. I somehow was thinking the Brits had already brought this in. But anyway, they haven't. It's 2022. I thought, yeah. yeah. Um, Particularly around the kind of the question of Sam Smith and just making things a bit more fair and equal. Um, they're not the words that Brian May is using, though. He's called the decision frightening, quote-unquote frightening, and one that has been made with an, without enough thought. So the plan going forward with the Brits will be to scrap gendered categories. And my second point with this was always like, well, do you kind of like half the amount of awards? Are people going to be missing out? But they're actually introducing four new genre-led awards. Which sounds fair enough to me. Um, Tom March, who is the chair and co-president of Polydor Records. Uh, sorry, he's the co-president of Polydor and he's the Brit chair. He said it is important that the Brits continue to evolve and aim to be as inclusive as possible. It feels completely the right time to celebrate the achievements of artists for the music that they create and the work that they do, irrespective of gender. Uh, but Brian May is hit out. He was speaking to the Mirror at ITV's Palooza event. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> we made his comments. He said, I get so sick of people trying to change things without thinking of the long-term consequences. Some of these things are an improvement. Some of them are not. He believes that there's an atmosphere of fear everywhere because people are afraid to say how they really think. And he also went on to say, I think so many people are feeling, hang on, this isn't quite right, but they don't dare say anything. Eventually there will be some kind of explosion. (laughs) Jesus. And then he was uh, talking about Freddie Mercury. Uh, I think it was his anniversary this week. We'll, we'll, we'll get said. to the Freddie Mercury thing in a second. Like, like oh, okay. the first thing, because those quotes are outrageous as well. But like, oh, yeah, I will say that very like, much putting words in the late Freddie Mercury's mouth. Yeah. Unbelievable words, yeah. which we'll get to in a second. But I, like, there's not a Darth, by the way, of people not offering their opinions. Like, go on Twitter. Two seconds, you'll find one. Um, the long-term consequences of the Brit Awards having gendered or removing gender understand. categories. Like, did, did, was he was he kind of m- making the point that I kind of touched on in terms of him 
Like the the argument last time around was that suddenly you're in a situation where way more people are competing for the same gongs. So maybe sure. he isn't fully informed of like what the changes are, and he's just like, uh, "You're gonna rue the day that you got rid of like half the awards because oh no, you know it'll just oh no, the Brit Awards being." <laughs> the argument from some awful people was it'll just end up being dominated by men because I don't know why would it? Um, yeah, I don't understand why. Like, you know, there's other areas we could, you could have conversations about sport or whatever, where maybe some gender comes into play. I don't know. But when it comes to making music as artists, what is the difference? Why does there need to be that dividing line? Surely genre stuff makes way more sense if you're trying to compare art, which doesn't make sense to begin with. So this is, I'm fine with this. This um, is totally fine. Like, organizers will be glad to hear, but yeah. Yeah, totally fine. And you, you could look at the Oscars maybe trying to do something different as well in the future. It wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, you don't want people to lose out. Whether, otherwise, they may have won something or been nominated, but at the same time, that's for them to worry about. Uh, my takeaway on this is, it's the Brit Awards. Lads, it's Tottenham. Like, who the fuck cares? Um, as regards the Freddie Mercury quotes, though, Jesus. Uh, he said... Um, he believes that Freddie Mercury would have found today's culture quote-unquote difficult. Really? Mm-hmm. Famously open, boundary-breaking Freddie Mercury. Okay. Uh, Brian May says, uh, Freddie came from Zanzibar. He wasn't British. He wasn't white as such. Nobody cares. Nobody ever, ever discussed it. He was a musician. He was our friend. He was our brother. We didn't have to stop and think, oh no, should we work with him? Is he the right colour? Is he the right sexual proclivity? None of that happened. And I now find it frightening that you have to be so calculated with everything. Well, if none of that mattered, Brian, and if it didn't pop into your head at all, why the fuck would it pop into your head now? I don't, I don't get this. Like, and I mean, yeah, sorry, I and also, sorry, to use, to use poor dead Freddie Mercury as like, well, Freddie wouldn't like this. Fuck off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope and I think that his heart is in the right place. He seems like an all right dude. He's clear, you know, the point he's clearly making in that is just like, these things shouldn't matter. We're all just people, which is great. Like in an ideal world. Say but, that um, then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so look, Maybe award I talk. Become this publicist, I don't know. Award, award talk. talk continues with uh, the most essential awards next to the Brits. It's the Grammys. What's going on, Craig? Uh, well, they're not the Ivor Novellos or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, bronze, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Grammy nominations have come out and there's been a bit of uproar around people that are nominated. They're taking a bit of a stand. I think the main takeaway here is that the um, CEO of the Recording Academy has kind of talked about some of the nominations, which include um, Marilyn Manson um, and Louis C.K. I think people are taking umbrage with Dave Chappelle as well. Basically, Harvey Mason Jr., which sounds like a composite serial killer character, um, has said that we won't restrict the people who can submit their material for consideration. We won't look back at people's history. We won't look at their criminal record. We won't look at anything other than the legality within our rules of is this recording for this work eligible based on date and other criteria? If it is, they can submit for consideration, which actually I think is totally sensible. Um, And he goes on to say they're going to control their stages, the shows, the events, the red carpets then if they need to look into the kind of people that are attending those things, that's a different story. But actually, you know, in terms of nominations, we'll just let the kind of the great voters decide, um, which I think is, you know, it's a slippery slope, I guess, if you start putting in weird... I mean, we mentioned Marilyn Manson there, and then we mentioned Dave Chappelle, who I think people are annoyed with for saying stuff. It just becomes, how do you start restricting these things? And it's a bit, you know, weird in that sense. But... um. I don't know. It seems like a fine move. The one thing I will say is this all seems to be based on the fact they abolished that 
33% rule that the Grammys used to have, where it's like if you didn't contribute to a third of the record, you couldn't be, you weren't part of the nomination, you couldn't get on stage with everyone else. And obviously because of Donda, so many people are now just kind of included. Yeah, that's for why, example, The Weeknd, yeah. That's why Manson is there, isn't it? Like, like it's not that's for any of his yeah, own actual literally the only reason, so he, he wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't imagine, even be invited. The Weeknd also nominated for uh, Hurricane as well. Um, Despite saying last year that he was that, snubbing yeah, the Grammys he was, he was snubbing them. Yeah, So yeah. kind of, he kind of still is, but there's been, you know, people need content. And so do sounds we, like, I suppose. Sounds like a mess, uh, as always. But it's a good week, though, for the weekend, isn't it? Uh, he's been named, or Blinding Lights has been named the US Billboard Hot 100 Song of All Time, deposing Chubby Checkers the Twist after years oh. and years and years and years. Uh, this is a complicated one. They've used, like, an inverse point scoring system, much like we use on our end of year shows. Uh, it's actually been a weird data collection system slash chart that has been running since like 1958 and it's based on you know sales, downloads, streams etc modern day inflation and as such your new king the new crown song of all time is Blinding Lights by the Weekend. We of course wrote not one but two stories on Joe.ie about this this week. People weren't happy we knew they wouldn't be but they clicked anyway that's how it works kids <laughs> A lot of fans of the twist in the Joe audience, is there? <laughs> Furious, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I prefer Blinding Lights. So, I, you know, so many of these gigantic songs are just absolutely awful. I quite like this one. And I like it even more now because Weekends talked about how uh, it was influenced by Grand Theft Auto Vice City which I was very heartened to hear. He was talking about how um, so many of his 80s influences came from like being a kid and playing Vice City and listening to the radio as he drove around, which is what I guess we all did. And I don't know, I guess I always just assume these artists somehow have a slightly more sophisticated entry point to some of their influences. And it's like, nah, it's just like Vice City Radio, which is great. That's cool. Um, I think, you know, the Billboard thing just raises all kinds of questions about how we consume music these days. But one thing that shocked me, Craig, and this is going to be a good lead into our album review, uh, it appears that Adele has saved music itself this week because she persuaded Spotify to remove the shuffle button off of all album pages. That's not strictly true. It was the the shuffle button was a, a default thing. It was Apparently, like the play button right at the top. Yeah. Yeah, so if you go onto an album and hit play, you might be starting on track 17 or whatever. Apparently this was just on non-premium accounts. I'm a Spotify premium ever since that time when Dahi scolded me publicly at Electric Picnic about how I didn't pay for premium. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day and Daniel Eck got himself a new customer shortly afterwards. Well done, um, Dahi. Yeah, saved my blushes. So essentially, uh, she put out a tweet saying, you know, we don't create albums with, it with so much care and thought into our track listing for no reason. Our art tells a story and our story should be listened as we intended. Thank you, Spotify, for listening. The streaming service replied... Yeah, I hated this bit. Anything, Anything for, you. for you. And said, like... And I think there was a line where it's like, and now, and now people have to listen to albums in the right order. It's like, how do we get to this point, really, though? This is pretty horrific, right? Yeah. And I, I hate those exchanges as well. They seem so phony. Like, I'm instantly thinking of, like the Amazon or what was it the Disney scheduling launch where they're just like interacting with about 15 different brands and like <laughs> end up talking to like a Dyson vacuum or something it's just and of course the rush then immediately under the Spotify thing of like every kind of slightly witty righteous person on Twitter which is to say everyone just being like oh why can't you like actually help artists in Spotify would you pay Fuck them yeah, yeah, yeah lots of that. which we of course agree with but um, of course yeah absolutely 
I know yeah. I'm a horrible person for having a Spotify subscription, but I'm sorry, it's convenient, okay? I know I'm a, I'm a toxic person. What am I going to do? It's convenient. I, I mean, I've never, I've had a premium account for absolute years. I've never had a problem with the shuffle thing. I'm sure there's ways and means around it. Um, yeah, press unshuffle, I think. Press unshuffle. <sighs> this, you know, the, this reminds me slightly of the faux outrage around the U2 album being on everyone's phone, where it's just like, it's just... Are you, are you, are you uh, saying that's faux outrage, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it was to a large extent. I think people just bandwagoned and, you know, it's something to kind of roil against. And did it actually make a difference to your life or even your phone? No. Just move on, you know. The, well, the world's move on, on fire. Move on, we will. Um, the question is, is the Adele album, like discernible if it's on shuffle or if it's listened to in sequence does it make a difference that's the real question we're gonna we're gonna find out because we're gonna review this album it's called 30 here's the lead single it's called easy on me stuff from Adele uh, <laughs> before Craig gives us his primer I guess like the top five that we're going to do like before we chose the top five I genuinely was going to be like Craig you know uh, do we have a new champion of divorce core is the question uh, I guess we could probably talk about that but why don't you just tell us about Adele who she is what she's been up to and what this album represents um, yeah well you know apart from saving us all from shuffle Adele's also the sole reason that you're not getting that you know low vinyl you ordered for another nine months I jest <laughs> I think she was at fault and it's the music industry just broken but she kind of is the music business at this point and business is good if you're Adele she's one of the world's best-selling artists um, and her album releases which are get, I guess are getting more infrequent are now real real events um 33-year-old from Tottenham. Um, she has a very recognisable, great voice, of course. She's a Brit School uh, alumnus class of 06, I believe. Leona Lewis and Jesse J were her classmates. Jesse J being China's answer to Adele at this point, after she rocked up on their, um, their weird reality show thing. Um, and she won, yeah. And she won, and I guess she's big in China now, but the rest of the world is Adele's. Um, so, you know, after a kind of inauspicious start putting stuff on MySpace she was very much the MySpace era um, she signed a deal quite quickly after graduating with XL first record was 19 the follow up 21 was Gargantuan and then we got 25 a few years ago to kind of just really consolidated her position as um, just one of those artists that will probably be massive for the rest of our lives uh, it's just has uh, an enormous loyal audience and does a certain thing extremely well I guess and she's you know her, I think all of her albums have gone to number one in the UK at least probably here uh, she sold over 120 million records I think at this point like you know to get the scale of where she's at you can go back to that vinyl thing and I think over half a million vinyl copies were ordered and Sony Music were just cancelling everyone else's stuff to try and get make sure they had enough supply and we'll see if those you know 
totally fly off shelves I'm not sure but yeah this is her first record um, 30 that isn't on XL it's her first record since her divorce a couple of years ago it's her first record since her marriage as well I think um, she married in 2018 um, two years later there was kind of reports then that she'd filed for, for divorce and um, yeah it's it's probably a lot of what you might expect for Adele it's music that will find and has found a huge audience but she has said that it's specifically um, an album for her young son so it's uh, you know her processing the divorce trying to refind herself as a solo person and I guess explain it to her son that's the kind of place she was coming from um, with it in terms of sound, she's working with Max Martin again, Shellback, Greg, Kirsten. Um, she's also brought on board Inflow, um, who a lot of the listeners might know for work with Salt, Little Sims, just a very kind of modern soul sound that we've been really eating up lately. Um, so there's a lot of that influence in this. And yeah, I guess, I mean... The default setting with Adele might be to her disadvantage for us slightly. I, I, certainly speaking for myself, because she's so ubiquitous and I haven't really delved deep into the long playing side of Adele, right? So when she's pouring her heart out about her divorce, it sounds a lot like when she's pouring her heart out about the last James Bond film or, you know, on a Sainsbury ad. Um, so she's a major star making major music. Um did it make a major impact on you, Dave? Or more precisely, an intimate, heartfelt impact? How did you kind of navigate the phenomenon that is Adele? Well, much like Garth Brooks, uh, the answer to my first question is, your first question is no. Uh, it did not. <laughs> <coughs> it did not make a major impact on me. It did not make an intimate impact on me. It barely made an impact on me at all. Um, it's, it's, it's a curious one because it's probably her best album in terms of a narrative structure. But her best songs are certainly found elsewhere, uh, chiefly on 21. I reviewed 25 uh, for Drowning Sound back in the day, and I really railed against it. It really pissed me off. It was just so plasticky and commercial and kind of, you know, I've said it before, but like the kind of music that you, you know, you absentmindedly take off the shelf in Tesco throw the CD into your basket or, you know, whether it's for yourself or for a Christmas present. Uh, there's a reason why she always releases songs at this time or albums at this time of year when she, when she does as well because again it's Christmas rush uh, which is fine you know I'm not saying it's calculated well it is but like who cares that's what she's a major commercial artist like sell it no problem um, yeah it's just boring isn't it I mean like I'm reminded of that Roy Keane thing where you go back to well she, she is a Tottenham gal so when he was talking about Spurs recently and he was like Spurs are boring and he was like they're very boring and then there's a weird pause and he goes boring and it was like this is yeah she's dull um like i mean it's it's growth for sure you know it's life experience and that's there how could it not be um but like ah jesus it was just so hard to listen to wasn't it i mean like i don't care about her life sorry um i don't i don't find her sympathetic um i don't find her unsympathetic but i don't i don't find her sympathetic i don't find her relatable um you know the all these interstitials of like her, her fucking kid popping up routinely i was gonna get onto that and ask you like about that just because being if, like goo goo gaga and then she's like mommy loves you it's like i don't fucking care i mean like boring as fuck like this is just like a really generic place for an artist to go i don't know where else she could have gone because in fairness like this but there's still that kind of like 
bitter Adele in here where it's like, my ex is a bad man. And it's like, oh, cool. Um, You know, it's just like, great. Like, maybe fucking move on, you know? And then it's, you know, just like generally just stuff like, uh, oh, I love you more than anyone because you're my son. And then you hear the kid being like, Wah. and it's like, great, that's cool. I, I wondered, yeah, I, just to cut across, like I wondered about those kind of voice note things because there is a trend to include them and it does give this instant um, signifier of being very revealing and confessional. But when I heard them, and I think it's My Little Love, right, which I think musically is quite interesting, but it just drags on for eternity because you keep getting these messages about like it's the kids there and then she's talking about like having a hangover and she's in her sweats and it just drags and is that the one where she starts crying and she's like you know i feel really lonely today and it's like great like i i'm like i, I don't mean something very, prickier, but i just i just don't care like i, I don't find very her relatable. surface level isn't it and i know and that you know she's a, she's got a cracking personality and she's gas woman and it's like great cool but like i just it's just she's too far beyond the pale of like you know, you're a major, major artist and this is just by numbers. I didn't dislike this record, but I routinely stayed away from it because I, I heard it three times and I was like, yeah, I think that's enough. Kind of heard some, like, isolated a few songs here and there, but like, it's so structured, it's so formulaic. I did, like, 25, I really disliked. Like, I really went to town on that. And <clears> I, I, know, I might sound like I'm doing the same here, but like, this album didn't piss me off. I just thought it was nothing. But yeah. sorry. Well, you, you you've mellowed for sure. For sure, yeah, you can hear it in my voice. I come from the same place of just, you know, as soon as she arrived, I thought there was something interesting about her. It was a couple of early songs I liked, but it quickly became quite blandified. And, you know, when you're BBC sound of whatever and you're subsumed into mass kind of culture, if I'm not reviewing it, I kind of tend to then steer clear. So it probably means she's, you know, she's a very good proponent of a certain style of like this ostensibly confessional chart pop. But it's a crowded field that I kind of already have a dislike for. And it means her, you know, even her catchy songs sit too comfortably next to a, you know, what could be like a rag and bone man stomper. Do you know what I mean? Or a, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't know, a song like Power Over Me, which you know, a lot of people love, of course, but it's just in of that ilk. And I'm hearing, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, a song like, oh my God, on this, I'm just immediately hearing Trail, the big Sky movies this December. Do you know what I mean? I'm imagining an audience over my shoulder and the slick production is saying, yep, yeah, that's right where you are. And the kind of news that she came out and said, I think the song To Be Loved, which does go on a bit, was going to be far longer. And her team were like, well, this won't get played on radio. So it wasn't included on the record. And that kind of says a lot, right? And the tension becomes, well, this is a supposedly a revealing personal divorce record. And you have her saying this is for her very young son to maybe go back to. And I just thought, like, if you were him in a few years going back to it, would you learn that much about her? I don't think you would. And the clips, I just kept thinking, OK, but in which situation? Why was there a recording of this? Is she thinking now I have to start making these voice notes to maybe include in the album? And I'm talking about how confused and emotionally all over the place I am to my very young son who probably doesn't need to have this conversation but I just need a snatch of his voice in it. It, it felt not I felt like enough, but weird I felt, to me. I, I felt like the one where she is having the big teary like you know I don't normally feel lonely but I feel lonely today and I'm hungover. I felt that the kid was out of the room for that one. That was just her. Oh like, no for, you know, for sure that was a different clip. Yeah yeah but she she is saying to the child that she is having very different feelings and that's just before she says she doesn't love anyone you yeah, know the yeah, way she yeah. loves him um, which is fine but I just it just the whole thing felt a bit odd. Yeah. I, I think my main problem with it was I want to hear that like that intimacy or the kind of level of detail in the actual fabric of the music itself. Do you know what I mean? I, just the songs themselves seem like they could have been 
you know, not sung as well as her because I do actually really like her voice and I think there's more personality in that than like her lyrics, but just they're very um, cookie cutter. I mean, Dave, can you tell me the name of track 10, please? If you have it in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I thought you were asking me like off the top of my head. And I was like, what kind of, what, what, I was like, yeah, I, I get the point you're about to make. Track 10 is called Hold On. Yeah, four points off right there. <laughs> we don't need another, how many times do I have to make this point? You don't need another pop song called Hold On. It's symptomatic of some major problems this record posed for me. Um, particularly when you're having, you know, you're, I'm trying to get to my five, five and one week listen and... You mentioned Spurs. I was I kept thinking of a different football piece that we saw from this past week where it revealed that like on a tactics board in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's office, there was a list of platitudes scrawled across a pitch and stuff like, you know, do the simple things well and with pride and go and do your magic. Go and out like, there and do your magic, yeah. Yeah, take pride in being the best y- y- you and just the sheer banality of that is throughout this record and it only it gets is, you yeah. so far I mean she's probably more of a winner than Solskjaer unfortunately but oh for sure and Sarah, on that point by the way I'm like, I, 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 I know I might sound like a complete psychopath here but like can't really feel sorry for a kid who's going to grow to be a fucking multi-millionaire sorry um, <laughs> and even like the ah, well, various the everything of, Dave that, you know you are correct and I shouldn't be so reductive but like kid's going to be a prick man sorry but like, uh, like ultimately you're right no I'm sorry but like am I wrong like come back to me in 18 years but like essentially like yeah no this is just it's just it's it's like it's her life has dictated that it's gone this way she, of course she's going to write about motherhood and having a divorce but also boy does it line up quite conveniently with the fucking overall artist arc you know I mean like they, where else are you going to go like, this is breakup music. She makes breakup music and some songs are great. You know, Rolling in the Deep is amazing. You know, and you know, Rumor Has It, Rules. That's a good one. Yeah. But generally... There's some, there's some uh, songs on this that I like. Do but it's are just, there really? <clears throat> oh, God, I, mean, I, 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 I couldn't pick a single like one. Like might be too strong a term, but, but even those ones, it's just, you know, it's breakup music just true. It's traced in every, like, aphorism, cliche under the sun. It just starts to really gnaw at you after a while because it... It just, it's it's almost getting back to our Chris Martin discussion recent times. It feels almost like AI generated of like, these are lines that you've heard in every pop song for the last 30 years, just shoehorned in because they scan a bit. And it's like, yeah, it's like small talk pop. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just conversational regurgitated stock phrases that doesn't really move the conversation forward there's no like it has it has the hallmarks of being revealing about her life but there's actually no real big revelations it doesn't tell you anything about life in general do you know what I mean there's no eureka moments and but she drinks know, wine I, Craig I was literally about to say on a song like I drink wine I, I started thinking like that is so close to the drinking wine meme of you know uh, all those fridge magnet jokes of the most expensive part of having a kid is you know all the wine you have to drink or whatever Jesus. but I'm like is she being knowingly like populist does she guess that I drink wine is just a really basic thing to say I'm like, sure she does I'm sure she's gonna um, have the joke she's a very like you know not to go all hot press here but like she's a strong intelligent woman but like yeah it's just boring I'm sorry it's just all uh, four out of ten I don't know I mean like it's just if you like Adele great but I just don't I never got it sorry I, I think um, there's some stuff here that was okay and I think lyrical content and thematically it was a shame because the positive points are kind of there for me um, in terms of the way it's produced like it is it is too slick but I think some of the inflow stuff there is quite nice 
uh, I think actually she integrates some of those modern sounds quite well. I liked the opener as that like old Hollywood style throwback thing. Like she talked in an interview about how um, she was working with Ludwig uh, Gorenson on that. And like he started playing chords in this, like jazzy chords in the studio that she'd never heard before. And she just started singing those opening lines, which are like, I'll be taking flowers to the cemetery in my heart or whatever, which is like, they're a bit clunky, but they're actually a bit more interesting than most of what follows there. And I'm like, oh, actually, okay, maybe this is stuff she could dig into a little bit and go fully throwback and go a bit weird. And because I do think she has a very strong voice. Like I like when she's doing that very American you know, she harkened back to a lot of the greats, but then she has that like London pronunciation where she'll start singing like idea as idea. And like, um, there's, there's personality there, just, you know, stuff that can be done with this, but I don't know. I don't know. She did say on that strangers by nature thing that initially she wanted it just to be for a different artist, not for a different singer, but like maybe just someone could sample her and create something different with it. And I'm like, oh, wow, that could actually be interesting if she just did hooks for a slightly different art. Like, if she did a record with Little Sims and did the hooks and inflows on it, I'd be all over that. That'd be great. But this isn't great. This is five. I'll give it five because the music's fine. Okay, I'm sticking with my four, but I, uh, I'm i sorry for being mean about the kid. You know, it wasn't very fair of me. I mean, I'm ultimately, sure the kid will be a lovely chap. I mean, she seems Probably, fine. yeah. And look, in fair, like, who, am I, who am I to judge? He probably doesn't even have fucking object permanence yet, you know? So it's not really <laughs> fair of me to <laughs> to come along and decide. Who does these days, Dave? God, that, that's a very good point, Craig. Um, so permanency, though, <laughs> is not something that will apply to our top five this week because, unfortunately, it's time to talk about Divorce Corps. And with that in mind... I have prepared a quick bouncy intro. Oh, is that it? That's it. Yeah, yeah. I I, 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 like that. Well, we had it recently, so I I couldn't. I didn't. Phil Collins is not in my top five. I will say that to uh, to to begin with, Um, because the best divorce song by Phil Collins is in the air tonight, and I'm pretty sure I picked that on the last top five I did. So it would be a bit outrageous if uh, if I came into this. How did you approach this this week, sir? And did it affect you emotionally? Um, no, I had a lot of um quite Fun. funny moments with this. Yeah, <laughs> I did because I, as I was saying at the top of the show, I didn't quite go with worst. Um, but rest assured, everything I'm about to play for you is horrible. Uh, but I didn't just fill it with any old trash. So it's it's divorce core. It's not just a lyrical theme, it's it's a sound, it's a state of mind, it's maybe an entire era. Um and I don't this isn't a specifically no encore coined term. I did some digging and there was an Esquire article from a couple of years ago talking about how it was making a comeback. And there's a couple of good de- definitions I might draw on, but um and I think the yacht rock guys did did a kind of thing on it. It's it's now maybe my favorite weird subgenre. There's an incredible amount of buffoonery at work in my songs, Dave. And what should be a devastating topic, I think my clips will hopefully be quite warm and cheery. Um, How did you approach this? Um, There was a lot of very strong songs out there which automatically fit into place. And I figured it would be churlish of me to put them aside for that reason. So it came together pretty quickly. I tried to think outside the box just a little bit here and there. Um, Some are literal, some aren't. Some are disputed, some are... 
I've got one song which is more of a general breakup song but I kind of think that it, it has such kind of a power to it that it should be here and I also found time for a bit of a screamy one as well because that's what I'm all about but we're kicking off with you though because you're on worst so we want to end on best and thus do you want to intro your, your first one here Craig? Yeah my first one's a bit of an outlier um, because what I'll be delving into is a lot of 80s stuff spoiler alert a lot of um you know, newly divorced dad just got his first, you know, hi-fi with a CD player, has a bit of spare cash, a lot of free time now, um, particularly during the week. And musicians of that ilk who are kind of boomerish, maybe divorced from their bands, um, hot to trot in the 80s, taking on slick new styles and getting into a lot of that. But actually for my first one, got to make it a bit more modern. Had to be included. I think he is now the standard bearer. Um, I say that, but he. this is a man with no standards, no shame. Um, had to be included. Let it roll, I guess. She locked it, locked it, locked it, locked it. Come on, baby, let me in. Don't leave me out here in the cold. Oh, turn the porch light on. Yeah, I, I would have bet my life on this one, Craig. Yeah, I had to include Robin Thicke with Lock the Door from 2014. Pretty recent, I guess, relatively speaking. Um, from the album Paula, which was all about him begging his estranged wife, Paula Patton, to um, get back with him. It didn't happen. Um, not for want of trying, as you can hear there, as he kind of vamps over some throwback R&B. And yeah, do you know what? There's there's self-deprecation and some small amount of knowingness in that clip, but I think somehow that is even worse when you've already debased yourself so badly and shown big picture-wise a total lack of awareness and latent creepiness that is now known completely to the world. And this is, you know, dead-eyed, fumbling, groveling. It's gross. It's well-produced, but it's just grossness. Imagine being on the backing vocal stage in the recording <laughs> sessions for this. I, 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 people got to eat. People got to pay rent, you know. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's 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 tough out there in the working world. And um, I think, actually, this will set up some of the songs I'll be getting on to later, where I think you'll find a couple of decades prior, the artists had a bit more pride Maybe because none of them had gotten fully clean yet. Sorry, well, at least one of them was a clean living fellow. I don't want to um, cast aspersions. But this, ugh, we don't need to get into it. It was a concept record that totally flopped. Um, the divorce was finalised in 2015, Dave. Give us your, your number five. <laughs> 2014, by the way. Between the Garth Brooks saga and this, wow, we really came through it. Okay, yeah. my number five. Uh, let's have a singer of tremendous value, in fairness, this time. Here we go. Jesus, like absolutely devastating stuff there from Roy Orbison. The song is It's Over. Um, that was uh, with the Philharmonic Orchestra, so that may have been the Roy Orbison hologram. I do apologise for uh, resurrecting that one. But Still more emotion and humanity than Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, it's Over, yeah. It's released in April 1964. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Um, just like those lyrics, like... 
I, he's so direct. There's no there's no subtext here. There's no need for it, and that's the point. The point is, you know, I'm just I'm not going to dress this up too much. I'm not going to glamorize or romanticize it too hard. I'm just going to talk about what happens when two people break up, and it's a horrible moment. And like, it's amazing how like the ascension of that there is. It's, it sounds triumphant, but it's about getting your heart ripped into two pieces. So it's like, how does he manage to do it that well? The voice is, of course, timeless, incredible, yeah. wonderful, perfect, and just unique in its own way. Um, he spoke to Enemy in 1980 and said that it's a lonely type song but it's not uh it's 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 not over if you listen to lyrics very closely so here we go here's one of my first few disputes Uh, well in fact it is over but i don't know it and i'm telling everyone that it's over i was trying to say that certain things are over before you realize it before anyone else does the producer of this uh of this song fred foster uh spoke about him very glowingly and said the great writer has the ability to bear his soul unabashedly hank williams did it can you imagine saying i can't help it if i'm still in love with you you know and roy only the lonely know the way i feel tonight you know we all feel that way sometimes but we can't put it into words that we're embarrassed or we think we're showing weakness if we do but roy knew what he was talking about and when he played me it's over it touched me deeper than anything i'd ever heard i guess roy orbson has this kind of strange ghost-like you know pre-david lynch but very david lynchian kind of yeah aesthetic and thing to him um but yeah when you break it down he was a guy who just like wrote these wonderful sad song standards and there's a beautiful uh blunt literacy i think to how he presents stuff and it felt like i couldn't kick this off in any other way like i say it's more of a general breakup song it's not necessarily directly about a specific divorce but i'm sure it could apply to a divorce i'd imagine you know it's over yeah very unvarnished uh plaintive amazing voice his songs always have such great build as well they just keep ratcheting up and up um kind of beyond belief and yeah that's totally linked to that 50s american americana vibe so you've got this weird nostalgia thing going on you've got like innocence lost you've got him from that era of like buddy holly as well where it's kind of actually like nerdy looking guys or guys that you can imagine as the outsiders really doing heart-wrenching stuff as opposed to like sometime later just all the pop stars are like immaculately turned out fellas that are kind of trying to convince you that they're having problems but they're not really but you just always believe Roy and that voice yeah it's a great way to kick off we're going to get into some ridiculous stuff now before we go into my number four and dive right into the 80s um, I'm going to go to this Esquire article, uh, Dave Holmes, March 2019, because I think this sets it up quite well. Just this getting you into that vibe, Dave, where it's, you know, newly divorced dad um, trying to kind of convince his still happily married mates to come out for midweek drinks. We're in that space, right? So Dave Holmes wrote, the 80s introduced the world to a new creature, the middle aged rock star, and with it a whole new style of music. So the emotion-driving divorce core need not spring from actual divorce. It often does, but it's just as frequently inspired by a life event, typically experienced by the not young, the dead of a parent, menopause, sobriety. It's the sound of usually a guy in his usually 40s, usually 20-ish years into a recording career, just trying to figure out life's serious questions in a way that won't alienate radio programmers, which I think is key. So it's super slick, super varnished, and super po-faced. And before we get into my number four, I had one song singled out, but I did some digging and it's actually about going home to your wife. Um, it's called Lost in You, funny enough. Can you give um, a blast of the clip I sent you called Big Rod? Because this is hilarious. <laughs> I can. It's an all cap. It's Big Rod. Here we go. When I 
he gets home, he's going to make love to her like 15 men. <laughs> what the fuck? He sings with glee. A lot that of people horrible. think that song's about him trying to get off with his ex-wife, but actually I don't think it is. But oh, there's man. other amazing lines like he's, he asks, he goes <laughs> at one point, how's that old son of mine? <laughs> like a pirate. Um, but that was Rod in the late 80s, right? And you can hear the sound of Divorce Corps in that. It's, you know, huge production. You can hear his hairspray in it. Um, so let's get into proper divorce. Let's get into the dour stuff. We're still, I think, 1989 with this one. Um, different kind of rocker. Still booming. Here we go. Fucking hell. Don Henley, 1989, <laughs> the end of the innocence. Big dose of nostalgia <laughs> in that one. Um, a common common theme of these kind of songs is lots of references to like feels and, you know, the good old days. And the sound is like, you can imagine this blasting from like your brand new hi-fi, you know, on your brand new compact disc in your otherwise empty apartment. <laughs> <laughs> And I see, yeah, it's overlooking, like, the loudest street of all time. You're like, I'm home. Yeah. And, you know, Don Henley's in the exact same boat and he's, you know, disillusioned because the 60s dream is over, but he's <laughs> rich beyond his wildest dreams. And this song is also, like, taking jabs at, like, Reagan, kind of, but it's also about him getting off with a clearly very, you know, a decidedly younger girl, right? So it becomes this weird, also gross thing of, like, taking innocence which again, I, I don't want to cast aspersions because, you know, that is, you know, your your new stepmother I'm talking about. But this was, he was going through a divorce, of course. From the <laughs> really? Sorry. Was, was the line about the lawyers working through the paperwork that gave that one away? Oh man. A Battlestar Galactica actress, I believe. Um, it all kind of wrapped up in about 1986. And the signs were there. The things weren't going well. Um on his previous album, he there was a song called All She Wants To Do Is Dance, <laughs> which reminded me very much of Eddie Murphy's My Girl Wants To Party All The Time, which is a much better song I've checked. But you know what? Like Don Henley had a huge 80s, right? So he left the Eagles, he divorced from the Eagles um, and, you know, went down that road of sheer nostalgia and had great success with like Boys of Summer, which I love as a song. And I do love some of this sound when it's done well. Like I think Boys of Summer, that is done very well, like in the early 80s, whenever that came out. But you're now at the tail end of the 80s. He's he's on his own. You're running on fumes. This was his biggest selling album because people were lapping it up. And yeah, I think this was co-write with Bruce Hornsby because of course it was around this era. Uh, David Fincher directed the video. Oh, wow. Recorded in California. Uh, it's kind of douchebag central. I don't know. He refers to himself as daddy quite a lot in that as well, doesn't he? It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, I'd say he does in real life as well. Daddy you know? only. Daddy yeah. Don. Daddy um, Don. Yeah, it's... Uh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I mean, he remarried in the 90s, if, if you want to hear it. Good for him. Some role. And um, 
I think they're still together. They live oh, in wow. Dallas, Texas with his, <laughs> yeah, with his wife and three children. Um, Texas, I guess, to avoid those taxes, but yeah. <laughs> it all worked out. Um, between yeah. between the Rod Stewart clip and this one, like, I'm getting big Brian Adams vibes here. And like, you know, it's just very like, I wonder if he'll pop up. I don't know what his marital status is or whatever, but like, it's 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 of a kind, right? Uh, my number four. I mentioned I had a screamy one, so here it is. Yeah, that's a band called Cursive, and the song is called The Casualty. It's taken, it's the opening track from a record called Domestica, or Cursive's Domestica, which is a concept album about a divorce, Craig, or about a breakup, anyway. Um, they're a band, I, they're a post-hardcore kind of emo band from America, and I probably should know them a bit more than I do. My good friend Adam uh, made me a CD back in the day, as he made me a few of them, and put a song on there is called Art is Hard on there, which is a great song. Uh, they appear to be very kind of playful, but, you know, shouty and aggressive on, on occasion kind of band yeah um so yeah uh did some digging on this one and it's a concept album tells the story of relationship between two characters named sweetie and pretty baby both characters are mentioned by name on several of the songs on the record and you know it ends in a in a slightly uh, ambiguous way i suppose but um the front man of this band is a guy called tim casher uh, who did get a divorce and clearly wrote his feelings on into this record. Yeah. Um. I read an interview uh, by a journalist called Tim McMahon. I'm not entirely sure what publication was for. It was around 2000. One of those websites that you go to now and it's like a fucking, you know, bizarre Space Jam-esque design. So... <clears throat> Um, essentially he uh, Tim McMahon here was talking about the promotional campaign for this because they're on a indie label. I think it was Saddle Creek Records who I believe yeah. Bright Eyes were also on or would yep, end up on. The very same. So... um. They put together like a, a press release or like a one sheet uh, that spelled out entirely the personal life and the kind of trials and tribulations thereof. So here, I'm just going to quote you here. Uh, okay. Tim Casher, singer, songwriter for Cursive, got married, says the flyer, uh, which was printed on every CD. With blue skies up ahead, the troubled days of guitar-driven rage would surely become a branch of the past. But as the songs have always predicted, there will be no happy endings. Tim Casher, disillusioned and disappointed, got divorced. And though he'll swear to you that Cursive's upcoming full-length record is not an autobiography, the parallels are difficult to ignore. Uh, ignore. Uh, then it goes on to describe the CD as, quote, the vicious assault, the tender embrace, and the bitter waiting game that falls in between. These are stories of anger, heartbreak, deceit, and disappointment that will keep us desperate. <clears throat> Asked if uh, he had shown the record to his then ex-wife, Tim Casher said, I need to talk to her before she sees this sticker. She's only asking what the title was about. I'm going to explain it to her the same way I would explain it to anybody else. The story will sound familiar, but she'll listen to it and realize it's not our life. Uh, I don't think his uh, his explanation will would have washed there. Uh, I will say, as an angsty, you know, kind of get out your feelings record, it's quite strong. Um, yeah. But even like in that song there, there's like there's there's one line in particular where I'm like, Jesus, that's dark. Where it's like. Uh, there's still a hole in the wall from where the phone was thrown or something and it's like woof so it's about you know 
Two people who it's just those don't... those kind of l- lyrical details that I think Adele is missing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. So you're suggesting that a cursive record from 21 years ago is superior to the new Adele record. They're doing the kind of show-don't-tell thing quite well. I will say that. And I did enjoy the kind of melodic playfulness of it. It It's interesting that the whole kind of concept behind it and the background where it's very much seems like his experience because listening to the clip first off, I was kind of thinking, oh, this seems more coloured by like maybe the perspective of like kids that grow up in a broken home or maybe it's just that generation of being slightly removed from some of the boomers I'm talking about where it's all very me, me, me and it's like, this is all new for me but it's now now showing the consequences I guess of that broken home. Yeah, he's got a good voice for it as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That was a good choice. All right, Uh, let's move on to my next rapscallion. Um, I, I checked there during the clip and Brian Adams, I couldn't find his marital status. He does not appear on my list, but you're right. Like you're in, very much in the wheelhouse. You're in the universe of Divorce Corps. Um, this is a guy who found happiness eventually. Um, here is the artist formerly known as The Police. <laughs> <laughs> Sting would have cut off his debut solo album. <laughs> Do you know the title of that debut solo album, Nick? Oh, God. It's uh, great. Is it Stung? No. Oh, that'd be good. That'd be, that should be his autobiography, right? <laughs> I think so. He's got to use that. I'm sure he's already written like five. Uh, no, the title is The Dream of the Blue Turtles. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have guessed that for sure. I was thinking maybe we'd tie into the police or something. Can I just say, by the way, I, I, was, I wasn't digging that track. But then that fucking ride symbol chorus came in, man. Nice. It's quite, it, do you know what it is? It's a very, it's a bit like a, a second rate message in a bottle. Um, but it still kind of hits. But yeah, those verses are just so off kilter. And it's the pretension, I guess, of the lyrics because it's, um, the the clip fades there just before he started getting into his chorus bag of using terms like encircled you in trenches. And it gets, <laughs> don't listen to the whole thing. Just let that like nice memory of that, you know, half a chorus stay with you because this is uh, you know we we talked about the police before I don't get it they just sounded like a group with really bad taste and Sting bringing kind of pretension to play in terms of the realm of divorce just taking it to a whole new level Um, this was 1985 and his marriage was coming to an end Um, it had come to an end (laughs) I can now tell you look at my notes (laughs) He divorced his first wife, Frances uh, Tamelti, in 1984. They had two children. Um, they separated in 1982. Um, this There was a, an affair with actress Trudy Styler, who I believe he still wished. So yes, I believe they out. are in fact but, still together. Yeah. Well, the split was controversial, of course, because it just so happened that Trudy was best friends with his wife, oh, uh, which is very awkward. sting. And you can hear in this song, it's just like, we're in Stingland. It's lots of turquoise, lots of, I don't know, yoga classes, lots of, I don't know. It it sounds to me like a song that started as him working through things and using flowery imagery as he was, you know, 
in couples therapy or something or like I'm working on myself but then as the kind of relationship fully dissolved it's now the material he's using in a kind of I'm tortured picking up new women sense <laughs> 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 like it's the soundtrack to like you know new singles like mingling over rosé and like fondue in the 1980s do you know Horrific. what I mean yeah he's coming after your mom um <laughs> Jesus, leave my <laughs> mum alone, Sting. They're all going to live on a commune, playing the lute. And what would my life be like if Sting was my stepfather? I don't oh know. God, I don't or know. I never have to worry I about money. Know. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm obsessed with money oh. today, today for some reason. I'm like, damn you, millionaire kids. Would you get on board with the, the yoga? With the... Um, maybe I've, teach you a few tricks. Yeah, bit maybe. Of, I mean, tantric no, action day. That 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 seems like it would be a bit too far. Um, yeah, maybe. I did see him though recently in a film, Craig, not in person. Um, I rewatched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels for the first time, probably since oh, the wow. DVD days. And he's in it. He's a he's the father of uh, Nick Moran's character. He runs a bar. And almost every shot of him is in close-up, and I had to wonder if that was a contractual demand. Yeah, I'd say that was a demand, for sure. He's a man that's, you know, is quite in love with himself, I would assume. I'd say so, Maybe he's okay. Um, No, he's not. But yeah, that is, that is, you know, that ticks the box of Divorce Court Song that is, you know, maybe the marriage wasn't good for me, and I'm ready to explore new things with new divorcees. And yeah, it's a bit, yeah. Let's move on to your it's better icky. selection. Yeah, it's yeah. icky. It's um, icky. It's let's icky. have a great song, shall we? And I think yeah. uh, I think this artist was on the top five you and Zara did last time, um, okay. two weeks ago, potentially. I've never picked them before, but uh, a wonderful artist, underrated, I would say. And this song, I think, is really clever and fun, while also being quite caustic and dark. He was a charmer, I wish him bad karma, oh, I know shouldn't take sides But that one was his fault This one is her fault No one gets off without paying the ride And oh, 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 That is Tracy Thorne Tracy Thorne, yeah And the song is Oh the Divorces uh, and the O has an exclamation mark after it, which I quite like. Um, just a really kind of simple piano ballad with some strings and her incredible voice and captivate, captivating imagination, I would say. Um, stringing together the story of divorce and the little details, the kitchen sink details, I suppose, and, you know, the kind of who gets blamed, who doesn't, who failed, who didn't, or whatever. Um, it's the opening track on her third solo album, uh, which is called Love and Its Opposite. And, yeah, I think it's just a beautiful song. I thought it was delicate and deft in a way that I thought gave a lot of humanity to this because I, I thought that this top five that we were doing as we've already seen with a couple of your choices uh you know it brings us to uh, I guess extremes on the kind of divorce spectrum and like not like, yeah now that you and I have uh, have had the pleasure of marriage Craig so I have to imagine uh divorce is a difficult time a difficult thing to occur like any breakup but I like when Someone kind of adds some whimsy to the mix. I think that's that's what she does here and does it incredibly well. It's such a simple bedroom song, but I think she elevated to like I could see this being performed, uh, you know, with the with the aforementioned uh, Philharmonic Orchestra, you know, preferably. She's a really good singer songwriter and probably doesn't get enough respect. I think maybe I think you guys were saying that recently as well. Yeah, um, everything but the girl featured on our um, songs from couples. Um, 
yeah we had missing the remix which is sensational and yeah that's you mentioned kitchen sink there and that's kind of right on the money just throughout everything but the girl's career and her own solo stuff it's very much those amazing vignettes i think you know yeah a lot of her stuff is on a par with jarvis cocker just in terms of like really journaling modern life or real life or honing in on those small devastations that are somehow comical as well um and that kind of nails it and then with those with those kind of strings as well very upright and very proper there's just a really nice blend i need to delve more into her solo um catalog and i need to do a lot more reading like you she's you know everything she's written gets rave reviews she's such a great storyteller um i need to you know get more tracy door in my life essentially i want to read in closing here um i found a review of this on a website never heard of called sound blab um which reviewed the song gave it a 6.5 out of 10 which i thought was a bit harsh um there was some weird yeah it was a strange review it was like um essentially saying like Torin states that Oh the Divorces was chosen deliberately as the first track to be released from the album in order to make listeners a little uncomfortable and to set the mood for the album which she says is about growing up and growing older the song opens and ends with the question who's next who's next and the lyrics in between are simple and heartbreakingly honest about the emotions surrounding a divorce all this is sung over a happy backing track which in no way reflects the melancholy lyrics creating a weird but enjoyable listening experience although not having mass appeal the single is unique and makes you want to listen to every lyric Divorce is not necessarily something discussed in that many songs unless you listen to Dolly Parton or Tammy Wynette on a regular basis. So it's an interesting break from the norm and something that caught my attention. I was like, what the fuck is this review? Like, <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, so I'll move on to my um, runner-up. And interesting, some of the artists just mentioned there because none of my top five features um, women as the main artist because I think... Even around this because era, you hate women, isn't it? Let's just. No, I was going to say the very opposite. Let's just get out with I, it now. I felt like female artists, as I was listening to stuff this week, kind of deal with it a bit better, or certainly in this realm somehow. I don't know. It's like the kind of. I it just feels more hard earned or real to me for some reason. So I'm sticking with the men on this, the buffoons, as I mentioned before. That might be a little harsh, but I had to include, of course, the king of Divorce Corps. You might be shocked that he's not number one. Uh, he featured in Artists I Don't Get. I still don't get him. Here you go. Get the fuck in. (laughs) Against all odds, Phil Collins. In fairness, there's worse music on this list. But because he facilitated so much of it, he set the scene, he set the stage for po-faced, kind of pristine, soulless soul, I guess. Um, I do think there's some emotion in some of his work, but I don't get it. And we talked recently about... I've gone back to Face Value, which was his angry album from 1981. Um... It didn't work for me. And this was a huge song. I think it came out in 1984. Um, 
you know, big movie song. It was actually an offcut from Face Value. He didn't like the music to it. He just had it lying around and then he made this power ballad, which now just completely, you know, you think you had your arms outstretched there, Dave. I was thinking Mariah Carey in Westlife, Steve Brookstein (laughs) and all of that. And that, you know, take a look at me now. Just like, here I am. I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate everything (laughs) that he ushered in. What's the movie again? Is the Bodyguard? Or am I imagining this? No, no, it's no, it's much. It's is it a a called against all odds? I can't even remember, but it was like a huge, huge film. Yeah, the 1984 film of the same name. Oh, okay. And it hit number one on the Billboard charts. I couldn't even tell you who was in that film, to be honest. But for some reason, off the back of it, and I guess he was well established at that point. He like won the Grammy for best pop vocal performance. It's an okay vocal. Um. But yeah, and you do actually, Dave, we, we continue on, you have a huge big drum fill. <laughs> of course you <laughs> but do. But it's kind of, you know, it's weirdly empty and pathetic compared to what's come before. And I think my problem with Phil is that he just kept flogging the dead horse. Like, you know, the next album, Hello, I Must Be Going, he was still angry at the X. And at a certain point, those drums just sound like, it's like a drum kit tumbling down the stairs and he's tumbling emotionally still and He's having all this success, but, you know, he's finished recording this in the studio and he's 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 gone outside and he's kind of weeping to himself. And that's just... Why does the man's pain not translate for you, Craig? What is Because it? I feel like then, you know, someone from his team came up to him just like, it's okay, Phil, you've got another smash hit on your hands. You know, <laughs> which car would you like me to bring, bring around? And Phil kind of goes like, you know, the drag... It's like, okay, the Jag. Bring around the Jaguar. Christ, it's very specific. <laughs> it's like if Kanye kept doing... I think Face Value was kind of 808s and Heartbreak, but not as good. Um, but wow. if Kanye kept doing the isolated, like, auto-tune sadness, just Phil kept doing the drums and, like, the sad, sad drums. And um, do you want to know about his current status? Do um, I? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll fill you in. Um, hey. Phil Collins has had some he's had some troubles in recent times greatest pun of all time sorry okay right <laughs> go on so. we, we wish him well I think he's been struggling on stage and stuff so yeah, we he's of course had wish him well yeah um, so he got divorced in 1980 um, he'd been married from 1975 to 1980 he married his second wife in 1984 um, Lily Collins was um, from that relationship um, the marriage encountered problems culminated in Collins twice having an affair while touring with Genesis in 1992 okay so there was a divorce then in 1996 okay so Collins married his third wife <laughs> this is very hard to follow I'm not gonna lie to you I'm so on Wikipedia right my now. eyes are like darting around the room 1999 he's on wife number three okay right okay so so much uh, time Swiss, for humanity Swiss National <laughs> they divorced in 2006 um, <laughs> why is this funny why is this is so unfair we're just raking over the man's personal he paid, life he paid 25 million to Oriane Chavez uh, which was the largest settlement in a British celebrity divorce wow he continued to live in Switzerland um, then Nick, in 20 okay grand. here we go here we go so then in 2016 oh his first wife took legal action against him then also in 2016 <laughs> He reunited with his third wife, oh, wow. who divorced 10 years earlier, and they lived together in Miami. That's nice. But then it, but then in October 2020, <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> Phil Collins files an eviction notice against Heavy after she secretly married another man that uh, August. Oh, that's not so nice. Jesus so, Christ. yeah. I think he's currently single and maybe ready to mingle, but that's Phil. That is my number two. That is shockingly impressive in terms of just like the amount of work there, the amount of paperwork and the amount of events. It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Yeah, it it does. Yeah, like it's. Do you ever look up like? Maybe I feel his pain now. Do you ever look up like a Hollywood actor from like the twenties, the thirties, the forties, or the fifties or whatever? And chances are, like on the Wikipedia page, they'd be like spouses, and there's like six or seven. Like it was like the done thing. I I went on repeatedly when I thought that song was a divorce song, and it was like his Wikipedia opens with Rod Stewart is well known for being a womanizer and has had eight (laughs) marriages and like five children, or maybe sorry, five marriages and eight children. And there's a table that has all the women in his life. Oh my god! It's like an Excel sheet. And like some of the dates seem to like overlap, and I'm like, what's going on here? So yeah, oh my god, well, exhausting. Well known for being a womanizer, I suppose they didn't fucking call him the legendary swordsman while they were at it. Right, <laughs> number two for me, uh, an obvious one, but one that has to be here, and it's great. Or is it? Is it toxic? Let's find out. Yeah, baby. Return of the Mac. Yes. It is Fleetwood Mac and it is Go Your Own Way. Um, I feel like most people should be up to date about the inner workings of this band. Uh, would you call it complex, Greg? Would you? I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. I mean, me <laughs> yeah, um, lots of interpersonal relationships, which didn't what? end very well. <laughs> but, uh, but the tunes, yeah. man, the tunes were there. And Do you know what I love? I love that, you know, every kind of... Every year there seems to be some like rumours milestone or anniversary and Mick Fleetwood is once again talking about how it was so funny, like everyone seemed to be in a relationship with everyone. It's just like after 40 years, would you not be again exhausted about talking about people that you were sleeping with? In the 70s, I don't know. But great music, man. But especially to be in the same track that you're both singing on and playing it live repeatedly yeah. for years. Like what? Uh, like most tracks and rumours, Craig, the lyrical content of Go Your Own Way documents personal strain in relationships between other band members. Lindsay Buckingham wrote Go Your Own Way as a response to his breakup with fellow Fleetwood Mike vocalist Stevie Nicks, who he had known since uh, he was 16. He said, I was completely devastated when she took off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and yet I had to make hits for her. I had to do a lot of things for her that I did, really didn't want to do. And yet I did them. So on one level, I was a complete professional in rising above that. But there was a lot of pent up frustration and anger towards Stevie and me for many years. Um, so I, you heard the line there, by the way. But upon listening back to the song, Stevie Nicks demanded that Buckingham remove the line, packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. But he ultimately decided to keep them in. She did a Rolling Stone interview in 1997 where she said, I very, very much resented him telling the world that packing up, shacking up with different men was all I wanted to do. He knew it wasn't true. It was just an angry thing that he said. Every time those words would come out on stage, I wanted to go over and kill him. And yet, it's one of their biggest hits, Craig. (laughs) I don't know. That was was the very lyric that I sang along with when the clip was playing. So it's effective. (laughs) It's just so raw, I guess. You're kind of not expecting it in such a, you know pretty pop song it's a remarkable song I love it I love the weird rhythm thing that's going on with the guitar as well so many elements come together that shouldn't quite work and it's magic as is you know true of a lot of Fleetwood Mac 
Yeah, Lindsay Buckingham, I was saying, you know, the fellas aren't great at those kind of songs. Um, in the 70s, they were <laughs> just, you know, good Dylan <laughs> yeah. stuff, blood in the tracks. Just seems like, because I didn't actually check Lindsay Buckingham, but I would maybe guarantee maybe 10 years later on his own, he maybe got the synths out and did far worse stuff <laughs> about a different <laughs> relationship. Well, he's had a, he's actually had a recent solo album that I haven't heard, but apparently he's really, really good. He's also okay. fallen in with Trent Reznor and he was on a Nine Inch Nails record, I think Hesitation Marks back in 2013. And he recently pitched up on the Halsey record um, and actually performed. Yeah, actually. Uh, Halsey did two tracks on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago and did one of them with Lindsay Buckingham which was a very very beautiful acoustic number and they linked up very very well together Uh, I'll close by saying that uh, I found a great quote here Uh, B. Mitchell Reed a Los Angeles radio DJ in the 70s was underwhelmed when he first played Go Your Own Way on his program after the song had finished he said to his listeners don't know about that one (laughs) (laughs) love those stories alright I don't know about this one this is my number one and we've had a lot of artists that have integrated like those big synths and sounds of the future in the 80s and I do like that kind of sound and there was some great stuff from your Peter Gabriels your Robbie Robertsons um, and even your Don Henleys but not with this guy this guy dabbled but there was no real affection there Um, there was no commitment there was no good music and as a bloke he kind of just stinks so let it roll here we go 1986 baby I kind of like that break. You were grooving. I was grooving. I was absolutely grooving. That's uh, Who is this? Eric Clapton. Oh, no. Tearing us apart. The no. album was August. Tina Turner's on backing vocals on yeah, it. Yeah, I thought she was. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. She, you know, she had her own divorce stuff. What's Love Got to Do With It? It's incredible. Um, Again, just better at that kind of thing. Eric was not so good at that kind of thing. This whole record, I was dabbling, well, I was I was kind of listening to tracks from it, from a lot of those 80s records of Eric Clapton's, and my God, time will never get back. The cover art's amazing, of course, just like big shoulder padded, like 80s suit jacket going on. His hair's like puffed up, buttons undone <laughs> completely, <laughs> but he's like, he's apparently at a like a grim like city waterfront but he's clearly not actually standing there it's just classic like cd bin stuff <laughs> um this song was produced by phil collins <laughs> <laughs> no way yeah and uh it's probably the lyrics um that made me pick this one over some truly truly dreadful stuff so this was about patty boyd um who he quote unquote stole from George Harrison. Although that's how it works. Ago. That's how it works, yeah. guys. That's how it works. She's no agency. Um, <laughs> I jest, of course. But the song was... Um, it's pure gaslighting, really. It's about... Um, Wikipedia tells me about the committee, quote-unquote, the group of Patty Boyd's friends whom Clapton blamed for coming between Patty and him. And reading about Eric Clapton in, in the 80s, it seems like he might have had a hand in this and actually listening to some of his music, um, it also seemed like it. So Dave, I've given you two other clips. Um, you have? Yeah, extra clips. Maybe if you can play 
extra mean, we might get a sense of this was from a couple of years previous, and this is him talking about his his wife Patty at a time when they were really struggling, and um, he, he was being quite sensitive. State You're In, which is a song about his wife having too much to drink and him being embarrassed. This is, um, you know, legendary alcoholic Eric Clapton as well. Jesus Christ, this is fucking gross. <laughs> Who, you know, maybe one of his best love song, song is uh, You Look Wonderful Tonight. Do you remember how that ends? The last Craig, verse I don't is listen to Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know how it ends. It is. Oh, the whole song is about like how like they're getting dressed up and going to a party, right? And he's like, oh, I'm so lucky to be with her. It ends with her having to put him, help him to get into bed because he can no longer stand because he's had so much to drink. Right? So she's been taking care of him throughout all of his problems for all these years. And then like in the 80s, he's just like, you're drinking too much, love. Like this is the kind of guy he is. Um, so just who, who saw it coming? Bad man. Who saw Coleman? Yeah, um, they divorced in 1989. Um, she was utterly devastated by his confession to having an affair with an Italian model um, who he'd also gotten pregnant. And yeah, I'm not going to go through his entire Wikipedia. I mean, we could. 1998. <laughs> no, please, I think playing Then two. 53 met a 22-year-old administrative uh, assistant. Jesus. We won't go into it. But um, This guy sucks. This guy totally sucks. That, that one there was from 1983. Um which is just terrible. There's a 1985 album. Actually, there's one last clip where he's, it's called Extra Sass. Craig is determined to play three <laughs> Eric Clapton clips, yeah, everybody. Do you know why? Because we'll end on him being very sad. <laughs> okay. Sad and it's terrible, which I think sums up the whole thing. And it's kind of like, it's just more fun. Here we go. The one that carries our wedding band. <sighs> that was his 80s. He cleaned up and he continued to be a bit of an asshole. Revolting. Yeah, let's get on to some good stuff. Yeah, Jesus Happy Christ. Talk about having to save Sorry this for that. show. No, it's fine. Uh, sometimes you got to go to dark places on this show. And that's what the brief was. So congratulations, Greg. You committed as always. But look, it's up to me to save the show. And <laughs> save it I will. <laughs> <laughs> with my number one uh, you know it's a ti- it's a song that's aptly titled uh, you can probably guess what it is and it's incredible and it's a fitting riposte to me not being here two weeks ago here is my number one best divorce chorus song Why, of course. Abba. I was just thinking as I was listening to that masterpiece, it's funny that there was a time where um, the music critics were like, you know, the serious artists are like of Eric Clapton. <laughs> None of this Abba tosh. Jesus. Um, yeah. It is Abba. It is the winner takes it all. And I think Sarah Hedeman on this show two weeks ago said that this is her favourite Abba song, potentially. Yeah. Certainly in your in your very, very good review. I loved your review um, of the record 
Voyage. You did not love the re- record, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. It's garbage. I mean, like, <laughs> I asked you to I asked you to tell the listeners, hey. Yeah, I forgot I was raging. I said, please yeah. tell the listeners, uh, Dave has one thing to, to say about this album. That there's no need for this to exist. It has no value, I think is, it what, has it, no value, is what I yeah. said. And it doesn't. And I'm sorry, but like, it doesn't need to exist and it's bad and people should feel bad. So here's the thing. You feel good, though, when you listen to this song, even though it's devastating, Craig. It's The Winner Takes It All by ABBA. And um, essentially, this was written uh, in the summer of 1979 in a cottage on a Swedish island. Um, uh, according to the band, the idea came from old ideas, from all the small musical pieces they had. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's... it's what, what do you think about the dynamic, by the way? Like, are ABBA the Swedish Fleetwood Mac or is that just horribly reductive of me? I mean, there's such parallels, of course. Um, similar times. It is that tension, isn't it, of the disintegration of relationships, trying to maintain a professional relationship. And then, I mean, I haven't been in successful band. Band. Not yet. <laughs> I always thought, uh, yeah, not yet. One of these days. Come on. I always thought it must be a bit of a choker or there's a certain amount of bravery to be like, here's something I just created. Um, do you think it's good? Do you want to work on this with me? Um, and that, you know, that takes um, a bit of guts. Now, imagine doing that in a scenario where it's someone that you're currently not speaking um, to or with. Um, The song is about you falling out and you are trying to convince this person to work on it and keep the show on the road. And you get this genius from it. I mean, the mind boggles. Yeah. So Bjorn Oldeus was one of the chief songwriters here. And he said that it was he drank whiskey while he was writing and it was the quickest lyrics he ever wrote. Uh, He said, I was drunk and the whole lyric came to me in a rush of emotion in one error. He then gave it to Agneta Falstog uh, to read and he said a tear or two welled up in her eyes because the words really affected her uh, he has denied that the song is about his and Falsog's divorce saying that the basis <laughs> of the song is the experience of a divorce but it's fiction because one thing I can say is that there wasn't a winner or a loser in our case a lot of people think it's straight out of reality but it's not uh, I come on uh, come on mate I'm not, I'm not buying that for a second I mean you know it is quite devastating how like there's a harshness to it as well and that kind of thing of like you know, the one person walking away, someone having slightly the higher ground. I don't know. I Yeah, I imagine he's maybe covering his tracks or maybe he's realised over the years that there was a certain bluntness or that he, he was a bit... It's a tough lyric. Maybe he he no longer sees himself in that kind of younger brasher man and he's mellowed a bit. I don't know. Well, I mean, he is actually backed up by Ignita Falstog, who has said that it's her favourite ABBA song. And while it has an excellent set of lyrics, the story is not about their divorce. Uh, she said there was no winners in that because, uh, especially as there were children involved. Sad. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, regularly voted. Sad. 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 Steve Coogan, of course, loves yeah. this song. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was, yeah. She said there's no winners in the divorce because there were children involved. Sad. Sad. <laughs> Sad. Um, it's regularly voted number one ABBA song across the board. Is that fair? I'd say it probably is. Y- yeah, I think for how it's incredible. It's incredible the tune is and the lyric. Yeah, it's it's it trumps kind of Dancing Queen. It's it's not my favourite because I'm a hipster. Um, but yeah. it's the best. Probably. What is your favourite? Yeah. Dancing Queen? Um, my favourite's probably SOS or One of Us, which is um similar kind of thing. 
or the day before he came ah we, we won't get into it we won't get into it i missed the abba i missed the episode sadly it was a good episode though so go check that out if you haven't yet and yeah like i guess in closing i'll just say i think it's a phenomenal song flawless incredible everyone's amazing in it the build is unbelievable the melancholy is real the pop supremacy is present and it is this kind of stuff that makes me go, yeah, I'd love to go to that Avatar gig because it doesn't matter about the new stuff. Once this comes on, you're like, oh, who fucking cares? This rules. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, get divorced. <laughs> One of those ones. I just want to feel that for myself. <laughs> say I've lived. I just want to get married tomorrow so I can have a devastating divorce, preferably with children involved, because that's sad. Right, okay. That's No Encore, though. Episode 304. We're on patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help support the show. And as we come to the end of the year, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who does support the show and has done to date uh seriously it goes an awful long way you've no idea how much we are recording a brand new no ox cord this weekend uh it's been, it's been it's been a busy time of it but we are locking in this weekend we'll be recording a brand new recommends episode in the form of the new no ox cord this weekend that'll be out uh on monday i hope so you know a few days after this one and beyond that uh craig how you feeling after all that emotion I'm a bit spent. I enjoyed that show immensely. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up as well. No Ox Court should be great. Yeah. Getting to the end of the year. Getting to the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, like we'll, we'll be hoping to drop our episodes at the end of the year. Mid-December, I guess. We're going we're gonna to record mid-December. So we'll get them out hopefully before Christmas um, as we come to the end of this year. We have a few more episodes of this show to go, of course. Adam will be back as well soon with his own Before the Encore offshoot as well. Plenty happening. And speaking of that, man, I want to shout out our wonderful Sonic Architect, music's greatest marriage counsellor, Adam Shanahan, the one and the only the greatest man among us. So yeah, that's now Encore for this week. I'm delighted to be back. Craig, I've missed the hell out of you and I've missed you too, listener. So thanks for sticking with us. Don't sign those divorce papers just yet. We'll be back next week. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And the greatest heartache a musician can ever have is to be told that he can't play in Ireland. But Garth Brooks doesn't have that problem because he's got five nights secured. Will we see you there? Who knows? Goodbye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.